Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the top 10 December-born actors list in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Yes, today we are doing the top 10 actors born in December list. It is a joyous time of year. The Christmas has passed us. The new year is on the horizon, and anything is possible. We are deep in the middle of uh, the awards season uh, for not just Fantasy Movie League, but for film in general, as we sort of careen toward the Oscars uh, later, or early next year. And almost everything is out in theaters for most of us. A uh, few holdovers uh, still waiting to be seen and expand uh, and to, to go wide in theaters. But for the time being, we are going. today's episode is going to focus on the top 10 actors that have been born in December. Uh, and now a brief, brief moment and minute of history here from... From when I when I first started to track the date of birth for actors on my spreadsheet, December was uh, strangely the most frequent month. I think uh, it just seemed to be the month that came up most often, uh, frequently in and around uh, Christmas, the day of day of Christmas, and it kind of became this really frequent thing to the extent where. It surprised me when someone, a very highly rated actor, was not born in December. Now, things have changed a lot since then. Uh, I would say that May is now the best month to be born in, uh, on average. But December still has a lot of powerhouses. And I think the biggest reason why the shift has been, we've seen the shift toward May, is partially due to the new formula in which I used to determine uh, score and value particularly because Samuel L. Jackson was born December 21st, 1948 and is currently ranked 410th overall and that puts him at uh, 34th on the list for people born in December. So, you know, pretty get wide gap there. But before the formula changed, he was one of the highest rated people on the spreadsheet. And so, you know, his fall from grace definitely impacted December as a whole. And, uh, you know, Steve Buscemi is another one who fell pretty hard with the changing formula. And he's now 774th overall. So we've seen a big drop in terms of uh, quality from t December when the formula changed. Uh, but... All that being said, I still think that the top 10 here are a pretty strong group of people. And uh, before we get into those, let's look at a couple of people who didn't quite make the list, who might come in and uh, try and penetrate this list next year uh, if they get a favorable grouping of movies to be seen between now and then. So uh, on the outside looking in, uh, Christopher Plummer, uh, who recently replaced Kevin Spacey in All the Money in the World. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, it is showing in a theater near me. And I will be getting to it soon, but just not soon enough. 
Uh, similarly, Caleb Landry Jones, who has had a banner year uh, from Get Out to Three Billboards uh, to um, American... I, keep, I always forget the second word in that title. American Made to the Florida Project. Uh, he has kind of been everywhere. Uh, and that's great. I mean, he, he's done a really good job. Almost made it into the top ten. Just missed it this year. Uh, Sir Ben Kingsley, uh, who has been in 40 films, is uh, on the outside looking in. Uh, Judy Dench, Dame Judy Dench. Humphrey Bogart. Uh, let's see, Mark Duplass. Jared Leto, Jeff Bridges, Tom Waits, Julianne Moore, a lot of big names that didn't make the cut. Um, all of these people in the top 500 overall and uh, knocking on the door. Uh, who else do we have here? Jude Law, as I mentioned, Samuel L. Jackson, Patricia Clarkson, Diego Luna. Um, good, 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 num good names, big names. But none of them are in the top ten, and uh, we'll see. I mean, I mean, they'll they'll have a chance next year, and hopefully, they can uh, do something to improve their standing, as it were. But for now, let us uh, forgo any further ado and jump in to this year, this this month's top ten. Number 10. Born December 19th, 1980 in California. With 34 films under their belt, uh, an average film rating of 61.68, and a value of 12 with one Oscar nomination and zero wins. Currently sitting at a score of 70.75, ranked 171st overall, is Jake... Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal is one of the few people that I've really gone out of my way to watch a lot of their movies, and that was a long time ago. Uh, it sort of coincided with a, a desire to watch all of Heath Ledger and Anna Kendrick's movies. Um, there was a brief period where I just like kind of picked a person and watched everything I could, and that didn't last very long because it was a little too narrow for me, but Jake Gyllenhaal definitely benefited from that, and he's been in some Pretty fantastic movies. Uh, top of the list for me is Nightcrawler. Uh, not only is the film fantastic, but Jake Gyllenhaal is probably at his best in this film. I would hazard a guess that his performance in... I don't know. I don't think he'll, he may ever come up with a performance that rivals Nightcrawler for me. I, I think he's truly outstanding. And I haven't released them yet the 2014 Circle of Film Awards, but I can say he does make the best actor list in that uh, that year for Nightcrawler. He is he is very very good, and the he it's it's the film is so kinetic. Uh, if you've seen it and know what it is about, if you haven't seen it and don't know what it's about, Jake Gyllenhaal basically plays a guy who sells footage, crime footage. Uh, police footage to news a news station and so he starts out you know he's following you know he's got the like police radio in his car you know he shows up at the scene he's late and he slowly works himself into a position where he's getting really good footage of crimes and 
then later on things take a pretty insane turn and there's an incredible sequence towards the end of this film involving not, not just Jake Gyllenhaal but a pretty fantastic supporting actor in the movie Riz Ahmed and that, that kinetic uh, energy of the film really works well with Gyllenhaal. I think he is at his best when he is constantly moving, when he is constantly uh, working and trying to kind of one-up the other people in the movie. You know, I look at something like End of Watch, another fantastic film he's been in. Uh, Zodiac, you know, anytime he's up against... Anytime, he, two scenarios, I think, that work best for Gyllenhaal are... One, when he is forced to bear the entire weight of the movie, uh, which I would point to um, uh, Nightcrawler as generally being that situation. And the other where he's matched up against someone who is better than he is. And I think, I mean, I think that's true about most actors. I think they, you know, you bring your A game when you're up against the best. And in Brokeback Mountain, uh, he is up against Heath Ledger, who, in my opinion, is a superior actor than Jake Gyllenhaal, but Gyllenhaal manages to really uh, hold his own and and stand toe to toe with Ledger in that film. And that's that's such a, you know, you look at the character he plays in Brokeback as opposed to the character he plays in Nightcrawler. They are vastly, vastly different act characters. And Gyllenhaal really does have that range, especially you know you compare those, you go all the way back to. Um, uh, Donnie Darko, you know, the film that he really broke out in. Or you look at this year's film that he was in, Okja. You know, that is some crazy range. And, you know, whatever you think about his performance in Okja, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't really get into the... I, I don't know. I didn't really buy into all the craziness that he had. I, I didn't think he sold that well enough. He's still... like, But still, like, he... He does it better than I think a lot of people would have been able to because that is a tough caricature of a character to play and Gyllenhaal makes it at least tolerable for some segments of it. Uh, he's also, uh, you know, he was also m briefly in, uh, as, a, as, a, as a little kid, in City Slickers, uh, which doesn't hurt to have on your resume. Um, source Code, I think, is great. Uh... As far as I can remember it, um, I, you know, it's a time loop kind of a movie, and that always kind of gets me. Gyllenhaal in it makes it better, uh, but he, I think, in I think Source Code is f succeeds more on the strength of its story and its conceit than it does on the strength of Gyllenhaal's performance, as it turns out. Um, or you can look at his partnership with Denny Villeneuve. Uh, not just with 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 enemy and prisoners uh, two really good movies that I think a lot of people prefer prisoners to enemy I am perhaps one of the few that prefers them the other way around you know I've seen I, I watched enemy twice in the same day because I was so engrossed in trying to figure it out, trying to understand it, trying to comprehend what was going on with these two characters and, and how to make sense of all that stuff and the spider imagery and, and whatnot. And I don't fully remember everything I learned back then. It was like three or four years ago now. But at the time, I was really engrossed in Villeneuve's direction and his style. But 
you know, at the core of that movie, you have two Jake Gyllenhaal performances that are dominating this film. And it's, you know, anytime you get an actor to be able to put himself or herself in a position where they can make you believe that these two characters are different, uh, particularly when they look identical, you know, if they're not, if they don't have different hairstyles or different haircuts or, or don't, you know, generally wear very different clothing, you know, when you just see them, you know, if you just see them walking down the street, you may not instantly know which one it is. And I think Gyllenhaal does a good job of really making these two characters stand out from themselves to the point where you would know which one was walking down the street by themselves, you know, with no other context to speak of. So I, I'm really, that was something that I've really been, uh, that I really like from him and I've, I've enjoyed seeing from him. And then Prisoners, I like Prisoners. I think Prisoners is really good. I'm just not as high on it as I think some people are. And I think the, you know, this is more of a situation where Jalen Hall is trying to uh, kind of keep keep pace with the rest of his rest of the cast. And I don't think he he kind of elevates himself uh, in that movie as he does in most of the others that I think uh, that he's worked on. So I think that's a little bit of a grab bag almost. But I do like I do like him in Prisoners. Uh, he's pretty good in Southpaw, but that was kind of a movie that came and went. Um, looking down here, you know, he was in Stronger this year. There was a little bit of an uh, bit of buzz about his performance in that. I think he's good. Uh, I didn't think it was outstanding. I think Tatiana Maslany was better, uh, which was strange, you know. So I think if he gets much of a reward for Stronger, I think it's more of a legacy career award than anything else. Uh, he was also in Nocturnal Animals last year, which it's strange that he wasn't at the top of his game, in my opinion. You know, he's acting with some of the most fantastic actors in that movie, and yet, you know, he couldn't, he just didn't bring the level of intensity, you know, he did, he wasn't, not that he, not that he didn't, has to be the same characters that he was in other movies, but he just didn't he didn't just didn't get to the same level in that movie that I think he'd had in in previous films uh, and has since I think I, I you know I think he does better and stronger than he did in nocturnal animals and you know even stronger I don't think is his as part of one of his best performances but I gotta say all of these movies and and you know there's so many on here I, again I've seen 34 and I don't, I don't have to go into all of them the one that I remember him most from, it's a movie I watched a lot when I was sick as a kid, um, especially once the library near me got it. We, I would rent it all the time. Uh, and that's The Day After Tomorrow. He's not like a main character. He's, I mean, it's an ensemble cast, so it's not like he, anyone's really the main character. But for me, like, that's the movie I always think about when I go to, <clears throat> um, when I think about Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, he is the day after tomorrow. He is Dennis Quaid's son. He is crushing on Emmy Rosum. He is trying to survive in a library. He is almost drowning while making a phone call. You know, that's that's how I think of him. That is the way I remember him, you know, running through the streets of New York as a flood is happening. You know, all that kind of stuff. And... I mean, the movies, I like the movie. I think the movie's fine. I don't think it's great. Uh, it's not going to win any awards or anything. <clears throat> but uh, 
I don't know. It, it's a charming movie, and I think Gyllenhaal is pretty charming in it. He doesn't have to do a lot. <clears throat> he basically has to be like the strong, silent, cute type, if that's a type. And he succeeds. You know, he he succeeds at it. And that's that's all you're really asking of him in this movie. He's not top build or anything like that, you know. So Day After Tomorrow is my most recognizable Gyllenhaal performance, I would say. Yeah. So that's Jake Gyllenhaal. So I'm going to leave him at that. You know, I, again, I with these people, you know, more and more people are into up into the like 30, 40 films that I've seen. I just I just can't talk about all the movies they've been in. Not when I have 10 people to talk about. And uh, three other people on this list have been in more than 30 movies that I've seen. So uh, it's going to be tough to, uh, you know, I already did one four-hour episode. I'd rather not have to do, do one of those every week. So Jake Gyllenhaal, 171st overall, 10th in December. Moving on to number nine. Uh, she was born in France. December 21st, 1969, uh, with 14 film credits and an average film rating of 70.29. Uh, she has a film value of 11 without any Oscar nominations, leaves her with a score of 72.5, so almost two full points up from Jake Gyllenhaal, and ranked 135th overall. Ninth in December is Julie Delpy. Maybe not the most recognizable name. Uh, as I mentioned, I've only seen 14 films that she's been in, which is the second lowest of uh, the December top 10. But the big three are Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, which are her three best movies, not in that order. In The, the, the order I rank them in is Sunset, Sunrise, and Midnight. Uh, she not only stars in these three films, where she is one of the two main characters that almost get 100% of the screen time. And I think the only times they, time they don't have the 100% of the screen time uh, is when Ethan Hawke gets a couple of moments to himself in a, in a sunset. And I think they share screen time with their family in Midnight. But for the most part, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are in every frame of these movies. But not just that. Julie Delpy also co-wrote them with... Uh, Richard Linklater, as well as Ethan Hawke. And I think there was other people involved, but I know that they were involved. Uh, and for me, like, this is the greatest trilogy of films I've ever seen. And not just on an individual basis, but on a cohesive basis, and on a, on a continuance basis. Like, it, it's, it's one thing to look at you know, like maybe the Toy Story movies or the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, you know, so so for example, I would say the Toy Story movies work really, really well individually, and they work really, really well when you like compare them against each other and and the sort of t way that time has passed throughout these movies. And I would say that the Lord of the Rings movies work fine individually, but they work much, much better when you take them one after another in sequence. But I would say that before Sunset, Sunrise, and Midnight work impeccably individually. And when you combine them and look at them as a whole, they become so much greater than just the sum of their parts. And the fact, and like, that's insane because the sum of their parts 
is already insanely high. Because, and I, I don't mean to like get this and get Julie Delpy like completely sidetracked down before the before trilogy, but what she does in these three movies, you know, is is you know at least as difficult as the entire cast of Boyhood in Boyhood, uh, potentially even greater because. You know, with Boyhood, let's say, I, I don't know how Rich Linklater did it, but let's say he goes back to the cast once a year for like a week. You know, maybe. The difference is, the Before Trilogy, you're going back to these movies every, I think, nine years. 94, 2003, and 2012, I think, I think. Uh, so, you have this presumably eight-year period where you haven't done, the like, been these characters at all. You not only have to get back into that character, you have to advance that character in the situation they've been in for nine years and figure out where they would have been at that point. And then you got to do it all over again using two new two movies now as your basis and trying to take the line you created from sunrise to sunset and then extrapolate that into moon midnight. And it, it's it that sounds insane. That sounds very very difficult. And Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke are fantastic in those movies. But Julie Delpy has other movies. Let's move on from to some of the others. Um, she has another sort of interesting series, uh, the Two Days movies. Uh, two Days in Paris, which I think is far superior than Two Days in New York. Uh, which one of them deals with her relationship with Chris Rock. And the other deals with her relationship with... Uh, Oh man, he's a he's a Jewish. Two days in Paris. Not that. No, 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 no. Adam Goldberg. This one I was thinking of. Adam Goldberg is the other person in Paris. The two days in Paris was with Adam Goldberg. Two days in. Uh, two days in New York is with Chris Rock. So love her in those. Uh, she's more. She, she the movie Paris is much better than New York. Uh, if I had to pick one. And I believe she directs, or at least writes, both of them. Uh, yeah, she directed both of them, wrote both of them, as well as uh, having writing credits on Sunset and Midnight. Not Sunrise. They didn't write Sunrise, but they did write Midnight and Sunset. Those are also really good. Uh, she is uh, also in... Another series of movies, uh, the Three Colors trilogy, Red, White, and Blue. Now, I'm not a big fan of these movies. I'll admit I saw them when I was much younger. So I may not have matured enough to the point where I could recognize like quality filmmaking. I do want to revisit them. Uh, I know Zach really likes them uh, from the Cinderellas, but I do need I, I have to like revisit them because I simply don't I don't remember much of them firstly. But I didn't really care for them when I watched them the first time, so I would like to revisit those sometime soon. And then the most recent film of, of Julie Delpy's that I've seen is one I watched yesterday, actually, called Wiener Dog. It came out last year. It's kind of an ensemble. The movie follows a wiener dog as it travels from, like, family to family. And it's it's... I guess it's trying to be cute and funny, but then it's also really dramatic and like kind of a black comedy. 
And the problem is, the last sequence with Ellen Burstyn's character, who has named the wiener dog Cancer, which I love, I think that's great. The way that sequence ends is terrifying and devastating and just destroys you. And then, like, they do it again and again. I just I just don't know how that happened. And, like, it just completely ruins the movie for you. Or for me, at least. And uh, kind of destroyed me. And I don't understand why they it was done that way. I don't get it. So, unfortunately, Wiener Dog is the only movie from Julie Delpy rated below 50. Um, of the 14 that I've seen, it really crashed uh, her her rating ranking. I think she was uh, two spots higher in De- in the top 10 December born before that movie. So still still clung to the top 10, <clears throat> and uh, with a two point sort of cushion over Jake Gyllenhaal, she might be able to survive one other bad movie without falling off. Uh, if that's the only thing I see from her, but. Yeah, Wiener Dog, man. I I don't recommend it at all. I'm very very anti Wiener Dog, at least the movie. Um, a couple other movies she's been in that uh, I don't really remember enough of her role in them, at least to talk on. Uh, Broken Flowers, Waking Life, uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, uh, The Three Musketeers. I think that's the '97 version. And uh, but I'm a cheerleader. But, again, like, none of those are poorly rated except Wiener Dog. So, I think with Julie Delpy, you generally can't go wrong. She's, she's very good. She's very, very good. So, Julie Delpy ranked 9th in November, 9th in December, and 135th overall. Moving up to number 8. Uh, born in New York, December 4th, 1964 with 19 film credits, with an average rating of 69, even two Oscar nominations, and one win, a film value of 11.5, for a total score of 75.93, so more than, almost three and a half points higher than Julie Delpy, is Marissa Tomei, ranked 8th in December, 84th, so top 100 overall. Marissa Tomei, Uh, Oscar-nominated for her performance in The Wrestler, and Oscar-winning for her performance in My Cousin Vinny. Uh, Also, in more recent years, has had uh, appearances in The Big Short, the Captain America Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, Love is Strange, Trainwreck. Uh, Yeah, those are the big ones from recent, recent memory, at least that I've seen. She she kind of flies under the radar. Uh, I mean, she's gotten a little bit more high profile now that she's uh, Aunt May for Spider-Man, and uh, I think you know she you know she when she won for My Cousin Vinny, she was probably much more popular than she is now. I would guess you know, and then you know the resurgence when The Wrestler came out, uh, which was two thousand and eight. I want to say. So, you know, like, that that's a pretty wide gap. And, like, even 2008, it's crazy that that was nine years ago. 
And so, like, the big short, she doesn't really have a big role. And Aunt May isn't really a big role either. So, she doesn't really get a lot of leading roles, which is unfortunate, because I think Marissa Tomei is a really good actress. Uh, unfortunately, my most familiar role of hers is Anger Management, where she plays Adam Sandler's, I think, wife? Or no, girlfriend, and then at the end of the movie he proposes wife. Which is, uh, it's not a good movie, but it's the one I most remember her from, because I've seen it so so often. But I would recommend, on the other hand, like The Lincoln Lawyer, Crazy Stupid Love, Factotum, Cyrus, uh, let's see here, The Ides of March, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Those are much, much better movies than Anger Management. Uh, and of course, you know, Big Short, Wrestler, My Cousin Vinny. The main, the, you know, the main three that I think are her most, uh, her best movies, despite the fact that I think her her perform her role in the big short, you know, it's it's tiny, but she she does what she can with it. Uh, she's one of just three people in the top ten for December that has won an Oscar, uh, and the other two will be following in in quick succession. I don't have a ton to say about Marissa Tomei. I I wonder. I hope that she gets a little bit more to do in like future Spider-Man movies or Marvel movies because I do think she's, I, I mean, I don't know. I think she's really good. I, I like her. I like, and at worst, I hope that her role in Aunt May and that increased, uh, how do you say, um, the increased uh, visibility for her as an actor will lead to more roles down the line in you know, lead roles maybe, film roles, yeah, kinda, that'd be nice, but I'm not, I don't know, I'm not like holding my breath about it, it's been so long, I hope that she can turn it around and do well, she has been in some bad movies, I mentioned Anger Management, also Wild Hogs is not very good, and uh, she's been in one awful movie, Parental Guidance, which by the title, I don't remember what it is, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> I just wouldn't. Uh, but man, it sucks. Uh, I'm just like coming to terms with the fact that she isn't really the lead role in any movie, which is crazy because it's interesting. My history with Marissa Tomei, I'd heard the name before I really knew who she was, which I'm not sure how I knew that when I was like super little. And I always kind of associated that name with a singer and I don't know why that is I've done that a with a couple of different people uh, and I, I don't really understand like Jeff Goldblum not that he's a singer but I knew him from Jurassic Park but I didn't think he was an actor I thought he was like actually like a doctor professor kind of person like the role he plays in Jurassic Park I thought he was literally that person and they just used him in this movie to kind of be a uh, uh, an exaggerated version of himself. And so it's still strange to me to see him in movies that aren't Jurassic Park playing a character that's not... Um, oh, what's the name of his character in Jurassic Park? Oh, man. You're killing me. Malcolm. Dr. Malcolm. When it's not... You know, when he's not Malcolm, 
it's strange to me. It's still strange. I don't know why I, I ever had the idea that he was just that guy. It doesn't make sense. No one told me that. I just just made that association. And so I don't know how I made the I don't know how I made the connection that Marissa Tomei was a singer or whatever reason, but like I just always kind of I don't know, there's just some like kind of like an Oprah character. Like obviously Oprah has acted and she's in movies, you know, she's going to be in the Wrinkle in Time movie, but you don't really think of her as an actor first and foremost. You know, she's a TV host, she's a charitable whatever, she's a powerful magazine woman, but she's not an actor first and foremost she does act you know but like there's like different sort of specificity and that's the way i looked at marissa tomei i I don't i don't understand i don't know why but marissa tomei i do really like her the more i see her in movies and it's a shame that she's really only been supporting role so number eight number 84 overall marissa tomei next up Born also in New York, December 28th, 1954, with 25 film credits at an average rating of 66.88, six Oscar nominations, two wins, and a film value of 13 for a total score of 79.93, so four full points above Marissa Tomei. We've made some pretty big leaps here early on to have an average, to have an Overall ranking of 45th, we're in the top 50 for the remaining seven people, is Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. Yeah, he is pretty freaking good, man. Uh, you know, it's... it's to, to kind of put things in a little bit of perspective, I've currently gone back to 2011 working on the Circle of Film Awards, the only ones that have been released to you guys so far are 2015, 2016, and you can see the page for the nominations of 2017. Out of all the, I mean, how many films do I have here right now? Out of the 211 films that currently are looking at nominations or have nominations, only three of them have less, have a rating of under 50. Uh, currently, the My Little Pony, My Little Pony, the movie from this year is in the best original song category. Uh, But last year, Fences, which I give a 49 to, got three nominations, one for Denzel, one for Viola Davis, and one for Best Scene, which is pretty impressive given the fact that this is a movie rated a 49 by me. Uh, You know, it's it's more of a writing and, and story standpoint that really ruined that movie for me, but still. So... That is the lowest, the third lowest rated movie that is currently in the running or has a nomination in the Circle of Film Awards. And while it didn't win any of the places it was nominated for, uh, the next highest rated film that has at least three nominations is uh, a 2011 film currently that's rated 76. That's a full 27 points higher. And I think that uh, you look at, like, that's, that's, I think, one of the things, like, you got the, you, there are these actors out there, and I think Denzel is definitely one of them, where they elevate the, if not the quality of the film they're in, they at least elevate the 
sort of uh, enjoyment you have of watching the movie. So, for example, I went and saw Roman J. Israel Esquire this year. It's not a particularly good movie, but Denzel is very, very good in it. Uh, he's not on my list of nominations for Best Actor this year, but, uh, you know, that's mostly because he didn't... As good as he is with the script he was given, the script is pretty bad, and he can only raise it raise that bar so high. But you look at these other movies that he's been in, The Manchurian Candidate remake, Glory, uh, Unstoppable, Two Guns, Remember the Titans, Malcolm X, uh, Philadelphia... Inside Man, American Gangster, Fences, Flight, Training Day. Like, he wasn't nominated for all of those. And I wouldn't even say that all of those are consensus good movies. But his performance in them makes those movies far more enjoyable than they otherwise would have been. You know, looking at something like like Two Guns, right, is, is not exactly high art. It's not great... A great film but when you put Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg in the in the roles of these main characters it makes that film infinitely more watchable because Denzel not only gives you a great performance in almost every movie he's in he also is able to get great performances out of the rest of his cast and you know Mark Wahlberg's not the worst actor in the world but he's no Denzel but when he's playing opposite Denzel, for a brief second, you think he could be a Denzel. You know, like, there, there's just those actors that raise the bar. You know, I would put, you know, a Tom Hanks into that category. Definitely, I would put a Philip Seymour Hoffman into that category. Uh, you know, I would put a Meryl Streep into that category. Like, they're just, they're just so overwhelmingly good at what they do that you have to match them toe-to-toe, and there's nothing else to it. So, moving on, so just to kind of outline this guy a little bit better, nominated for his performance in The Hurricane, nominated and winning his performance in Training Day, nominated for his performance in Flight, Malcolm X, nominated and winning in uh, Glory, and finally nominated but losing and not winning for Fences. Uh, his highest rated film, however, for me, is Much Ado About Nothing. He's not the main character. He is a minor character. And one, I'm really pleased that Brana cast him in that movie. Didn't, you know, they didn't have to, you know, it was a Shakespeare play. Obviously, when the original play was written, none of the actors were black. And yet, you know, it's just like Hamilton. I mean, it's not like Hamilton, but similarly to Hamilton, while everyone in the Hamilton musical, except for like King George, is not white. I haven't seen it, so I'm going on what I know. I think that's the case. As far as like the lead, the singer, lead singers and actors go. Um, while, so you know, like that is making a statement uh, about race that Much Ado About Nothing is clearly not trying to make in uh, by by any stretch of the imagination the same same statement, but you know Brana was able to cast and and direct Denzel into in a role that was pro- I pro- I assume played only by white people before him, 
and potentially only by white people after him. And yet, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel strange. It doesn't feel weird. And it shouldn't. But like, it's, it's even more remarkable that it doesn't. I don't know. I don't mean to harp on that issue so much because like it shouldn't even be an issue, but it is an issue. And, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I was alive when this movie came out, but I was two years old. So I don't know if that was even an issue, a problem back then, or if like anyone talked about it, brought it up. I have to imagine they did. And it's gratifying and pleasing to me that it didn't even, like, it shouldn't have even mattered. Like, I didn't watch this movie through, like, a, like race goggles, so I wasn't, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means, but I wasn't looking, watching it, expecting it to feel, I don't know, expecting to, to focus in on Denzel as if he shouldn't have been there, you know? I watched it, and it was just, like, another movie where Denzel was in it. You know, it wasn't anything beyond that. And I didn't, it didn't ruin, like, I didn't, it didn't affect me at all. It didn't change the movie for the better, like, the better or the worse, other than Denzel's really good, so, like, he makes the movie better. All that to say, all that is to say that I think Denzel is one of the more captivating actors we have. He can play pretty much any role you put in front of him, whether it's kind of like a straight man comedy comic relief in Much Ado About Nothing, whether it's a football captain or coach in Remember the Titans, um, you know, Philadelphia, The Hurricane, Inside Man, Unstoppable, Training Day, The Great Debaters, Flight, Malcolm X, Glory, Crimson Tide, American Gangster, Book of Eli, Manchurian Candidate, Devil in a Blue Dress. All these movies are, at some degree or another, good, in my opinion. And they are all... Uh, very dependent on Denzel being a good actor. And it's a good thing he is because uh, he is pretty outstanding. And I think that he has deserved the accolades bestowed upon him. He has not had an awful film yet. My lowest rated film for him is The Equalizer, which I gave a 31. So, like, still a few points of space between that and, the, and an awful film rating. Uh, so... Denzel. Denzel. All right, that's Denzel, number seven in December, number 45 overall. Great actor. Absolutely fantastic. Moving on to number six, uh, born in the UK, also born December 28th, like Denzel, but 20 years before him in 1934, uh, with 21 film credits at an average film rating of 6852 uh, the only person on this top 10 list that ha doesn't have a film rated 90 or above uh, with four Oscar nominations and one win, a film value of 15, and a score of 80.57, so half a point above Denzel, ranked 6th in December, 43rd overall, just two spots above him, is Maggie Smith. Uh perennial member of Harry Potter, which, as I've mentioned many times before, is kind of like cheating in this, in the, in the way that I rank movies, but we'll, we'll let it slide yet again. Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall is 
at times, like the life and soul of the Harry Potter franchise, particularly in the early films, when you're just kind of getting used to the world and Hogwarts, she is unrelenting in the way that she completely embodies McGonagall better. Like, the casting in the Harry Potter movies is flawless pretty much across the board. And McGonagall, who was there the entire, every step of the way, is one of the best choices in a sea of great ones. Uh, and uh, it's a shame she never got, like, awards recognition for that. Not that I think that she should have, necessarily, but I think, I don't know, it, it's, it's, she's gotten other recognition, so it's not needed, but she is pretty fantastic in those movies. And they make, and, you know, she was in... Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, Order of the Phoenix, Chamber of Secrets, Sorcerer's Stone, Goblet of Fire, Deathly Hallows Part 2, Half-Blood Prince. So I think the only one she misses is Deathly Hallows Part 1, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so seven of the eight Harry Potter movies is a boon to your score and rating. Uh, her other movies, the only movie that contends with Harry Potter to the top of her list is A Room with a View which she was nominated for, but did not win. She is also nominated for Gosford Park and Othello, not winning either of those. Her win came for The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, which I watched relatively recently. It's kind of like... Um, oh, shoot. Uh, uh, damn it, what is it called? The Robin Williams movie, Oh Captain, My Captain, they all stand up on the desk. Um, I don't want to look this up. Um, I'm going to have to look it up. Shit. <sighs> killing me. This is killing me. <sighs> Dead Poet Society. even took me forever to look it up. Dead, it's kind of like Dead Poet Society, except instead of being like the best spiritual guide teacher around, she's kind of like the worst. <laughs> so she doesn't like intentionally mislead the kids that she teaches, but she ultimately ends up steering them in a direction that leads to very, very bad things. And... Thankfully, the film kind of calls her out on it and, like, she, you know, accepts the punishment and receives consequences for this for her actions. But definitely, you know, it's not a, a, a resounding um, positive movie like Dead Poet Society. It is much more conflicted, much more uh, gray area kind of a situation. And I, I don't think that that's my favorite Maggie Smith performance. You know, for me, it's... Ugh. I, it's tough between A Room with a View and, like, the early Harry Potter movies. I might have, I'd probably have to watch, like, A Room with a View again to really figure it out for sure. Even though I've watched that relatively recently. I just don't remember it very well. But she's given, I mean, you know, it's, it's Maggie Smith. Like, she's not, she's not bad. Uh, she's, I mean... It's tough, you know, particularly with these people who are mostly, who's like a third of their films are Harry Potter movies. 21 movies seems like a lot, but when you figure 
a third of them are all the same roll, then it gets a little dicier. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, like, I'm looking through some of these movies, like Sister Act. It's been ages since I've seen Sister Act. Hook, Keeping Mum, My Old Lady, Becoming Jane. Like, these are the, like, middling and lesser movies of hers. And, like, they don't really stick out. And her role in them is not particularly significant. And she's not really stretching out of her comfort zone and then, like, really doing a lot with these movies. But then you get into, you know, Othello or Gosford Park or The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel or Nanny McPhee Returns um, and the Harry Potter movies or The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. You know, these are movies where she's given a lot more to do. She's get, And those are the ones that end up higher rated. So just like anybody on this list that I really enjoy, that I really like, uh, not, not not necessarily even this list, but like any actor at all. Like I, I find it so frustrating when someone who I think is a really good actor, like a Maggie Smith, like a Marissa Tomei, uh, doesn't get the chance to shine as often as they could. Now, I think that's a little different for T- Maggie Smith than it is for Tomei, because Maggie Smith is considerably older, 30 years older than Marissa Tomei. So I'm sure there are a wealth of films that I haven't seen of hers that came out long before I was born uh, that would help flesh out this, whereas I think there are probably less Marissa Tomei movies. But even still, like, I don't know, man. I'm looking at these movies, this list of movies. Um, so, like, some of the movies of hers I haven't seen. The Lady in the Van, Sister Act 2, The First Wives Club, Murder by Death, Quartet. Uh, you know, those aren't particularly movies that I'm super aware of that are supposed to be good. Uh, the, only, the only ones that I, I, I actually find that I've heard of and heard good things of, like Richard III or Death on the Nile, maybe. Um, That's kind of it. Or what's this one? The VIPs, maybe. Elizabeth Taylor's in it. So, I don't know. It's, I mean, there's a lot of movies here, so, you know, I'll reserve judgment, but I'm interested. I, you know, obviously I'm going to watch more of them. She's been in a lot of movies. She's still alive, so she'll be in more movies. But Maggie Smith, I love her. Obviously, I know her best as McGonagall. I think that's probably the first movie I saw her in. I'm going to say it is. And uh, she'll forever be McGonagall. You know, she, you could never, you know, you read the books, you think of Maggie Smith. She's perfect as McGonagall. That's all I want to say. Maggie Smith, 6th in December, 43rd overall. Next up, we have number 5, born in California, December 20th, 1983. With 37 film credits on my spreadsheet and an average film rating of 65.05, Two Oscar nominations and a score, a value of 18. This person has a score of 80.72, so 0.15 higher than Maggie Smith. Ranked 41st overall, two spots up, is Jonah Hill. 
Now, I'll be quite frank here. As good of an actor as I think Jonah Hill can be, and I don't, you know, I don't discredit the two Oscar nominations he's gotten. I think he's pretty great in a lot of movies. Um, particularly The Wolf of Wall Street is, he's fantastic. But I really, I have tried so hard to drop him out of, the t- out of like, the top anything. Because it's not that I don't think he's good. I just think his resume is so outlandishly big for how small some of his roles are. For example, How to Train Your Dragon, The Lego Movie, How to Train Your Dragon 2 are all 90 rated films. And he has like three lines in them total. It's it's insane. Or like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Django Unchained, he has half a line. Uh, which is mildly frustrating, and it's not like it doesn't. It's not like the same situation as like a Sherry Lynn or a Best Flowers, where all of their films are like that. And, and that in that case, I kind of get it. But like, it's like half of his films are like that, which is irritating. Um, you know, Lego Batman movie. Uh, I don't know. So. Like I said, I've tried. I have tried to drop him in this list, and it has not worked. He is still ranked 41st overall and 5th in this month, with four fi- four awful films, the most out of anyone in the top 10, six bad films, the most out of anyone in this top 10, and and you know there's that's that's it. Like I can't do anything else about it, and so I am forced to resign myself to the fact that Jonah Hill. Not just a top 10, but a top 5 December-born actor. Alright? So, that was just my unfortunate preamble. Like I mentioned, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, Lego Movie. A lot of voice roles. How to Train Your Dragon 2. Mega Mind, which I really enjoyed. Lego Batman Movie. Sausage Party. Horton Hears a Who. Uh, a couple of short films related to the uh, How to Train Your Dragon series. Despite the fact that most of those are relatively small roles, he does have a good sort of legacy as a voice actor. On the other hand, you look at some of his comedic work in The Wolf of Wall Street, 21 and 22 Jump Street, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Knocked Up, This Is the End, uh, Superbad, you know, Walcard the Dewey Cox Story. 40-year-old virgin, accepted. You know, he's got a long list of pretty fantastic movies, relatively speaking. And I can't, you know, I, for me, the unfortunately, like, the most recognizable role for him with me is in Accepted. Tiny, tiny role. Uh, you may not have seen the movie. You might have seen the trailer where... In one instance, Jonah Hill is wearing, like, a hot dog costume, and he's, like, handing out flyers, and he has to, I don't know if he has to, but, like, he's kind of being forced to sing, like, ask me about my wiener, and it's stupid. I mean, he he's one of my least favorite parts of that movie, but I like the movie, but that is the role I remember him most from, because, like, that's what I saw him in, really, before anything else. 
at least recognizably so. I saw him in that before I saw him in Superbad. Like, it took me a while to see Superbad. I, I was late to that party. Uh, and it's just, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just how I think of him. Not that, like, I don't know. That may be a little demeaning to ask me about your wiener guy. Or at least associating Jonah Hill with that person, first and foremost. But that is where things stand for me. But moving moving past some of that stuff, the other thing is I've seen almost all the movies he's been in. So according to Letter, uh, Letterboxd, there are six films of his that I haven't seen. Seven. Sorry, seven. Yes. Uh, True Story, also starring James Franco. The Sitter from 2011. Uh, the Comedy Central Roast of James Franco, which I don't think I would consider a film. Dumb, the story of Big Brother Magazine, which looks strange, came out in 2017. The Ballad of Richard Jewell, which stars record, apparently Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio and was released in 1900, so I don't know what's really going on there. Uncut Gems, which doesn't have a poster. And The Dawn of Lying, which is a DVD extra or Blu-ray release extra for the movie The Invention of Lying. Uh, starring Ricky Gervais, which I've tried to find, but can't. At least online. And Un Uncut Gems is a uh, Safdie Brothers movie, which is not out yet. So that one doesn't count either. So that really only leaves three. Dumb, the story of Big Brother magazine, The Sitter, and True Story. Which I could watch. Uh, I've been trying to watch some of them for a while, but, you know, other stuff gets in the way. And I've seen so many Jonah Hill movies... I'm kind of just waiting for new stuff to come out. Um, so, uh, some of those new movies are supposed to be things like How to Train Your Dragon 3, which comes out <clears throat> in two years, in 2019. Or Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, which comes out next year, uh, has Jonah Hill in it. Uh, so, there's, you know, there's things coming out. It's... He's one of the people that I pretty much am fully caught up with in their filmography, and it's just kind of waiting on their new movies to go forward. You know, that's that's where we're at. And I don't know. I don't want to come off as too hard on Jonah Hill. I do like Jonah Hill. I think he's very he's fantastic in Moneyball. He's fantastic in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, and he's really good in the Jump Street movies. You know, I, I love the Jump Street movies, perhaps more than anyone really should. And the biggest part, you know, obviously it's Jonah Hill is one of the main characters in Channing Tatum. You know, if they don't work, then the movie doesn't work. And they work not just together, but comedically on their own. So, I don't know. Maybe I come off as anti-Jonah Hill a little bit, but... I, there's... I don't know, there's just, just based on the way that the system works in my spreadsheet, there's just some people that are rated pretty high that I don't feel like should be rated so high, and he's one of them. Like, I don't know, I wouldn't call Jonah Hill a better actor than Denzel, or Maggie Smith, or or Marissa Tomei, or Julie Delpy, or Jake Gyllenhaal, personally. But, statistically, he's a better filmography. And uh, I live with that every day. So, number five, Jonah Hill, uh, ranked 41st 
overall, 5th and December. Next up, uh, the only person in this top 10 who is no longer living, born in Ireland, December 4th, 1888, uh, dying December 2nd, 1968, at the age of 79, with 19 film credits and an average rating of 71.32, no Oscar nominations, and a film value of 17 for a total score of 81.52, about 0.8 points higher than Jonah Hill. Ranked 39th overall is Colin Kenny. I'll let you I'll let you absorb that for a second. Colin Kenny. Ringing a lot of bells, I'm sure. Yes, Colin Kenny, the one, the only, the master of all acting and acting affiliated things. Colin Kenny. No? Yeah, he's kind of like a male version of 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 Best Flowers. <laughs> that's that's you know, like he's an old person who's dead now that has been in a lot of movies that are generally rated really well, generally well-reviewed, well-regarded, well-liked, that he really doesn't have any lines in. And if he does, there's one, there are only one. And he kind of sits in the background. And he's in everything. So, you know, like the same thing with Best Flowers. She's very highly rated because she's in a lot of movies and they're all really good. Colin Kenny has not been in as many movies, about half as many, but most of them are really good. So I don't really have anything to say about him as an actor because, one, he might not even be a good actor, but two, I don't really remember him in any of these movies, but he was, so credit where it's due. Uh, I'm just going to run down the list of movies and uh, move on to the next person. So these are the 19 movies I've seen that Colin Kenny is reportedly credited or uncredited but appearing in. From top to bottom, Judgment at Nuremberg, Johnny Belinda, The Adventures of Robin Hood, North by Northwest, Sweet Smell of Success, All About Eve, Witness for the Prosecution, The Music Man, Limelight, The Manchurian Candidate, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Bandwagon, My Fair Lady, Mrs. Miniver, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Absent-Minded Professor, None But the Lonely Heart, my favorite spy, and Charlie Chan in Shanghai. Those are the ones I've seen. Five of them are rated in the 90s, five in the 80s, three in the 70s, one in the 60s, two in the 50s, two between 25 and 49, and one between 0 and 24. It's very top-heavy. Uh, as I kind of also expect with Best Flowers, you know, the good movies got to run out eventually. Uh, you know, it's kind of a war of attrition. And... You know, we'll see if he is still here next year. Colin Kenny. Check him out. Look him up. He's been in a lot of stuff you've seen. And uh, maybe he's good in them. I couldn't tell you. Next up, number three. Born in Japan, December 13th, 1932. The oldest living person uh, on this on this top ten. Uh, with only eight film credits the lowest number of the top 10, with but with an average film rating of 87.25, the highest average film rating of the top 10. No film rated below 79, which is remarkable. A film value of 
for a score of 83.3, so almost two points higher than Cullen Kenny. Ranked third in December, but 25th overall is Tatsuya Nakadai. Uh, now, unlike Cullen Kenny, or, well, very much like Cullen Kenny, this is probably a name you're not super familiar with. If you've ever heard it before, uh, you may have only heard it from me. But, uh, very much unlike Colin Kenny, this is a person who is the main character in most of the films he's in. Or, if not the main character, a very significant one. Uh, and it also turns out that he's been in one of the films that I've given a 100 to, which is Harakiri. But, that is not nearly all of it. Uh, he is a frequent collaborator with every... Uh, Japanese director that has ever existed. So he has been in some great films uh, like Kurosawa's High and Low or Yojimbo. He is in the he is in Ran and Seven Samurai, but he is also in a trilogy of films called The Human Condition, of which I've only seen the first two. I wanted to see all the third one before I did this list. But it is a three, and it, like it's over three hours long, and it's it's uh, as good as these movies are. It's still difficult to get through them, but they're fantastic. They're absolutely great. Uh, the first one is subtitled No Greater Love. The second one is subtitled Road to Eternity, and is better than the first. I'm really excited to get a chance to really sit down and watch the third one, but it's gonna take some time to get to that point. I don't know when that'll be. And then last, the eighth film of his I've seen uh, that I haven't mentioned yet is uh, an animated role, actually, in Belladonna of Sadness, which I don't remember how big his role was in that. Uh, it's been like a year and a half since I've seen it. Probably less than that, though. And there's not a lot to say about Tatsuya Nakadai. He, he really is a fantastic actor, you know, it's no fluke that every single movie he's been in that I've seen has been rated so highly. Uh, you know, in the Human Condition movies, he is the main character. He carries those films. He ages with them. I they've all they were all released within like a two year span, and they're all at least three hours long. It's it's truly remarkable. And Harakiri is an absolutely incredible film in its own right. And Tatsuya Nakadai is a big part of that. But <clears throat> it's it's always tough. You know, I, I find it very difficult to judge acting from someone who doesn't speak English. Uh, or rather, is in a role where they don't speak English. Because so much of acting is the way you say things. And I think I've kind of touched on this in the past. But... You know, you look at a movie that's in Japanese or Chinese or, or you know, Fran French or, or Spanish. And you have to read the subtitles, so you're not looking at the actor as much. And also, the subtitles may convey the same meaning. Or, or rather, the, may convey, the, like, the same facts that, like, what's being said is conveying, but they can't ever possibly capture the exact feeling and meaning behind what's being said. You know, it's the exact same, like, 
you know, if I say my name is Ryan, you know, the same, you know, I can say me amo Raul, but like, that's not really the same thing uh, as saying my name is Ryan. There's more words, there's less words, the inflections are different, the implications are different, you know, the, the, you know, you, there's, I don't know, it's just, there's a lot more getting going on in both sides of those phrases uh, that each si other side doesn't really notice. And so, for the same reason, like, I look at Tatsuya Nakadai in these movies, and I can't deny how great he is in these movies, but I don't think I can ever fully comprehend exactly how great he is, unless I could see him act alongside, like, English-speaking people, because that's what I'm really familiar with. That's the play, like, that's where my basis of judgment comes from. You know, I've spent years watching people like Matt Damon and Christoph Waltz, I just watched Downsizing, um, and people like that, like, act, and, you know, I've only I've only seen a handful of his movies, Nakadai's, and at the end of the day, it's not about whether or not he's good. I know he's good, but it's very difficult for me to uh, really compare him against someone like a Denzel who I think is great, I don't know if I can necessarily put Nakadai in that same category. Or, you know, ever. He could end up being the best-rated actor on my spreadsheet, you know, in a year's time. But I still won't fully comprehend and understand how good he is. Because he's always speaking Japanese. And there's just always going to be something lost in that translation whether it's the meaning behind the words, the inflection that I don't understand, he's stressing a word that I don't realize which word he's corresponding is corresponding from what he's saying to what's being said. There's just so many factors and you know, it, it's uh, you know, I can't like learn Japanese because then I'd also have to learn French and I'd also have to learn Chinese. You know, I can't learn all these languages to maybe to be able to watch these movies in their intended languages. That, that's just not feasible. So as much as I love Tatsuya Nakadai, and, and I, I really want to keep watching his movies, it is mildly, you know, just irritating that, like, I know no matter how many of them I watch, I'll never be able to perfectly understand how great of an actor he is. That's depressing and, and disappointing. Uh, uh, the last movie of his that I've, I saw was... Uh, high and Low, and, you know, High and Low is not a, excuse me, is not a, um, it's a Kurosawa movie, but it's not like a samurai movie, and Nakadai plays the chief detective in the film, uh, who is there to help uh, Toshiro Mufune's character when the chauffeur, when, when, you know, his chauffeur's son is kidnapped and, and, you know, he gets into all these, this drama and, you know, you've got Toshiro Mifune and Tatsuya Nakadai, you know, and they, they've acted together many times, but like you just, you see them on screen together and it's, it's fantastic. Like watching, like you can, that's a way you can definitely judge their relationship to each other. You can judge 
how they act and play off of each other. And you can gauge things that way. But, like, they're still kind of in an independently designated league from people who speak English. You know, it, it's not like I, I can, you know, I can compare and contrast, at least I think I can, people who speak English that aren't from America because they're speaking English and like that's that's really all you need but when you don't you know it's just it's so tough it just really is very very difficult to to um be able to gauge and and understand someone from that point of view when you can't you know see it man uh so to that effect you know my claim would be go watch anything Tatsuya in. I've not found anything that's not at least great that he's been in and I may never find anything that's not great that he's been in uh, Tatsuya Nakadai he's fantastic check him out please and uh, check out Kurosawa because they collaborated a lot and you can't go wrong with Kurosawa. Next up, we move on to number two. Whew. The penultimate person. Uh, born in Oklahoma, December 18th, 1963. With 39 film credits and an average film rating of 68.28. Uh, this person has three Oscar nominations, but no wins. A film value of 24 and a score of 90.45 uh, ranked ninth overall so we're in the top 10 for the final two people <clears throat> uh, is Brad Pitt Brad Pitt <clears throat> excuse me sorry uh, Oscar nominated for his performances in 12 Monkeys uh, as well as Moneyball and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. However, I don't think any of those are his best movie or even his best five movies, as my best five movies with Brad Pitt in them are 12 Years a Slave, Small Role, Fight Club, Big Role, Burn After Reading, Medium-Sized Role, uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, very, very good movie. He's got a big role in that. And True Romance. I think... Uh, sort of old Brad Pitt, I like a lot more than young Brad Pitt. Uh, you know, I think outside of the Oceans movies, young Brad Pitt didn't really do anything for me, other than be pretty. And, you know, the last ten years or so, I really think he... I guess Fight Club. Uh, Fight Club's the exception. But, like... His performance in, like, The Assassination of Jesse James, uh, The Big Short, Inglorious Bastards, uh, those are the films that I, I really associate him with now, and the ones that I think I want him to sort of progress from. Those are the ones that I, I really think he excels in. You know, whereas you look at something like Snatch, or... or uh, I don't know, like Babel, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, 
even like the tree of life i, I mean those are all fine and i i think even his performance in a lot of those are is good but at the end of the day like they're not remarkable in the same way that i feel the rest of them are particularly you know assassination of jesse james uh and and <clears throat> and glorious bastards i think are some of his best roles uh even even looking at stuff like fury i really enjoyed him in fury moneyball i am so glad he got nominated for moneyball he was great in that movie um looking down the list here but i i don't know i i think brad pitt is going to slowly decline down this list and i say that because i don't i don't think he's like gotten worse i think it's just that like he's kind of hit his peak almost you know he's you know he's what 50 54 years old now he can't do the action stuff really anymore he's too old for that uh he doesn't he's kind of gotten more to the production side of things and i do think that that's gonna start to bite him in the butt you know i look at something like allied which came out last year and it's fine it's just a very okay movie but it's not particularly good and you know he's the biggest role in that movie so i think he's likely i don't know i see a downward trend in his future and uh you know i've got a lot of movies to catch up on still that he's been in a handful at least meet joe black sleepers spy game seven years in tibet uh, the mexican by the sea cool world i don't know there's a there's a good number of movies of his that i haven't seen yet but i think going forward it's likely that it's going to trend the other direction ultimately and so looking at some of the movies he's got coming out so you got world war z2 which i don't expect anything from uh the war machine which came out this year was not very good it was a netflix movie He's got, he'll be in the new next Quentin Tarantino movie. So that's probably going to be good, but that doesn't come out till 2019. Also 2019 is Ad Astra, which I don't really know anything about. I mean, I do kind of, I can read the synopsis here. It is a sci-fi thriller, which has a great cast, but I don't know that it's, I don't know, I don't have much faith in it, really. So... I don't know, it's it's really difficult. I don't I guess I just don't trust Brad Pitt anymore. Is that a bad thing? Is that a is that a, even a thing? It's Brad Pitt though. The the film that most think, makes me think of Brad Pitt though, <clears throat> when I think of Brad Pitt is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. If you notice, any person that I have an older movie that I always think of when I think of that person, is generally not the best movie. Uh, or if it's a good movie, it's not because of the person I'm thinking of, a la Jonah Hill. Mr. and Mrs. Smith is not a good movie. I would say it's a bad movie. But it was a fun movie when I saw it, like, a dozen times, because I had the DVD. And it was cool. You know, it was. it's the kind of movie where, like, you skip half of it to get to the good half. 
and like that's never a good movie overall but it has nice moments and it has cool elements to it and you know the whole time you're like oh i just want to watch them fight each other but then once you get to that point you're like oh i just want them to fight together now you know you just want them up together but then it's like oh i want them to fight each other again and it kind of gives you exactly what you want in that sense at the um at the detriment to the story quality but at ninth overall like it could take a while for Pitt to trump tumble out of like the top 50 or you know even the top 10 decemberborns you know if ever and uh i don't have a problem with that i think he's very good you know again i don't begrudge the three nominations he's got at the oscars i think he probably deserves like two or three nominations i wouldn't have given them to him for those particular movies but uh besides moneyball but i do think that he is a successful and and high quality actor working today i do like that he's sort of drifted into production side of things uh, particularly with 12 years a slave i would be really interested to see him do some directing i think he has worked with a lot of pretty fantastic direct directors um you know soderbergh you know you could even include like you know he's worked with clooney not that i would say clooney's like a great director but he's done some good stuff directing and <clears throat> it would just it would be interesting to see him kind of step behind the camera you know he's worked with tarantino he will be working with him again he worked with adam mckay on the big short uh the coen brothers on burn after reading he he's had a lot of experience you know he's got that long career that has helped him expand things and, and, and experience things across the across the spectrum so I would be interested to see like who he takes on takes after uh, for twelve um, for for directing on his own. I would be very interested to see that, much like Angelina Jolie has taken a taken a crack at directing. So that's Brad Pitt for the most part. Um, number two in December, number nine overall, and we now move on to our number one December-born actor. Uh, also, I can say, is the highest rated male actor on this spreadsheet now, uh, after a, uh, after Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, left that position not too long ago. So, born in the UK, December 22nd, 1962, with 32 film credits and an average film rating of 70.91, two Oscar nominations, no wins, a film value of 27, the highest among this top 10, and a score of 94.74 for a total overall ranking of 5th is Rafe Fiennes. I have badly mispronounced that name many, many times in the past. I will try to not do so uh, in today's episode if I can avoid it. This isn't exactly here nor there, but I always feel like proper nouns should all be spelled phonetically. Just because. I don't know. Um, so, Ray Fiennes, who's been nominated for two Oscars, uh, once for Schindler's List and once for The English Patient, uh, having not won either of them. I would not give either of those my... Neither of them would be my favorite Ray Fiennes performance. Uh... 
you know, you'd, I would look at like the Grand Budapest Hotel or Quiz Show is very good. In Bruges is fantastic. Spider, Strange Days, uh, you know, he is he is pretty, pretty great in everything. You know, Schindler's List uh, is definitely a top five for him, but I think that's Liam Neeson's movie more so than it is Ray Fine's movie. But Fine, you know, he's been in so many great movies, and he gets the Harry Potter effect like Maggie Smith, not not to the same degree. You know, you look at he's been in uh, Order of the Phoenix, Deathly Hallows, Part 1, Goblet of Fire, Deathly Hallows, Part 2. So he, you know, he's, he's been there done that and uh, that's helped him a lot but unlike Maggie Smith he has a lot more to show for it uh, above that line you know Grand Budapest Hotel The Hurt Locker Coriolanus Quiz Show uh, his voice role in Kubo and the Two Strings his voice role in Wallace and Gromit The Curse of the Were-Rabbit in Bruges Spider Strange Days Skyfall Schindler's List um, the Lego Batman movie voice uh, I think he voiced Snape or uh, not Snape, Voldemort in that as well, Constant Gardener, A Bigger Splash, which was a very um, under-the-radar movie from 2015. Uh, He's in The Reader and The Duchess. Uh, He does a voice role in The Prince of Egypt. He's himself in the documentary that came out this year, Spielberg. So he's kind of run the gamut. You know, he, he has done voice roles. He has done... Big roles, minor roles, villains, heroes. He he's played everything, sci-fi, uh, uh, you know, period pieces. He is a very versatile actor. He is one of my favorite actors that's working right now, and definitely someone who would be in this top ten list, um, statistically or otherwise. I don't know if I'd rate him number one, but he is he is very 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 good, and. I'm always excited when I see that he's in a movie. I feel like I say that about a lot of people. But looking at, you know, like looking at some of the films of his I haven't seen, uh, you've got Two Women, The Invisible Woman, Page Eight, um, Land of the Blind, The White Countess, The Chum Scrubber, Chromophobia, Made in Manhattan, which is probably not very good. The Good Thief, The Miracle Miracle Maker, Sunshine. Uh, Sunshine kind of looks like a Schindler's List sequel. It's kind of weird. It's fascinating, though. So looking at this, Schindler's List came out in 1993. The first credit that... Ray Fiennes has on Letterboxd is 1991, uh, which is fascinating because like he starts out in a Helen Mirren film, Prime Suspect. He has a lead in I think I don't know if this is a sequel to Lawrence of Arabia, but it's um, Lawrence after Arabia. He's a lead in Wuthering Heights, The Cormorant, The Baby of Macone. And then he's in Schindler's List, and Quiz Show, and Strange Days, and English Patient, in like super quick succession, and he's fantastic in all those movies. So it's really interesting, like to look at the progression of his film, film 
devices, uh, why did I say devices, and looking at the progression of his film career and his acting choices. Because, you know, he's constantly doing both, like, big blockbustery type stuff. Harry Potter is, like, the biggest example there, but, um, you know, like, Nanny McPhee or Clash of the Titans, um... are both just, I don't know, like, Skyfall, uh, Wrath of the Titans, I don't know why he was in that franchise, but then, like, Grand Budapest Hotel, Hail Caesar, Lego Batman, Kubo, like, these are, some of these are really big movies, but then, on the other hand, he's got his, like, indie stuff, like, Hurt Locker, uh, like, In Bruges, like, Constant Gardner, like, Coriolanus, which is very, very good, in my opinion, and, and not, and really underrated, um, or a bigger splash uh, again, um, just uh, you know some really great stuff that in in it's tough. I don't think I would put him in the same category as uh as like a Denzel or a Tom Hanks, where I think he elevates the material, he elevates the people around him. But I think the strength in Rafe finds is that he will. If, if he has really good material, he will always be really good. And you can't say that about everybody. Uh, you know, you, you can hand somebody the best script ever. And sometimes, you know, the script or the performance or the or rather the role will be too good for the person that's playing it. You know, you, you see that all the time. And, you know... The problem is Ray Fiennes plays to the level of the writing, in my opinion. So when you look at a movie like, like I think in in something like Red Dragon, he's not very good in it, and neither is the writing, or Great Expectations, or The Clash or Wrath of the Titans. Like, bad movies, he's not good in them, the writing's not good in them. Whereas, you look at something like... Um, like the Harry Potter movies, you know, they're very well written. And the part of Voldemort is a very meaty, good, great part. And Voldemort is a awesome villain. And, you know, no one but Ray Fiennes could have played him that way and done such a great job. And, you know, been so intimidating without a fucking nose. Like, <laughs> Like he has no nose, and he's still the most imposing character in that mo in those movies. But like you look at Schindler's List, like, geez, man, like he he was barely like, had, you know, still wet behind the ears when he took that role as an actor, at least as a film actor anyway. And he knocks it out of the park. He's nominated for an Oscar. He's fantastic in it. He's he's you know he's opposite, acting opposite Liam Neeson. He's acting for Steven Spielberg. He is you know living like any actor's dream basically in that role. He's a villain, and yet he's still kind of you know he he's he's able to make that character feel real and actual. And you're not, you know, you hate him because he is a piece of shit, but you also, you know, 
fall in love with the guy playing him. And I, I don't I think that's something that that Ray Fiennes does that is very difficult because he's able to it's it, he doesn't really disappear into a role. I would say the only time he's ever disappeared into a role is Harry Potter. Um, and that's mostly because of the effects on his appearance. Most of the time, for me anyway, I never feel like he can disappear into a role. I'm always like, that's Ray Fiennes. I know that's Ray Fiennes. He can't hide the fact that he's Ray Fiennes. I know who it is. But unlike most people, when I figure that out and when I make that connection and when I think that and then when I say that, it doesn't detract from the performance. And it doesn't make me like the performance any less. It doesn't make me like the character any less. And at the end of the day, like I'm looking at his performance in like the Grand Budapest Hotel, which I'm like, well, that's Ray Fiennes. The whole time I'm watching it, I'm looking at Ray Fiennes. But at the same time, I'm never thinking like, oh, it's not, he's giving a bad performance. I'm not thinking that. I'm never thinking, you know, like, oh, I wish, I wish he like, I don't know, like method acted this thing or something. You know, I don't feel that he needed to do that. It's mostly just looking at it as kind of, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it's tough to describe. He's able to really embody a different type of acting than most people have. You know, he's not trying to, it's it's almost like, and, and I don't know, maybe this is a little reductive, but it's almost like he's trying to present, present the character as if he were the character, okay? So it's not like he's turning into, I think his name in the Grand Budapest Hotel is Gustav. I could be completely wrong there. But it's not like he is presenting himself as Gustav. It's that he's presenting what he would be if he were like Gustav. Does that make sense? I don't know. I, I think he's great. I think he's a fantastic actor. Like I said, I, I look forward to him in every movie. But it's just, he's very different than, than, than general actors, than most actors. He doesn't, in my opinion, he doesn't really follow the same rules. And uh, that's a, generally that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. And uh, I, I, I appreciate him as an actor. I think he's pretty fantastic. And I'm very pleased to think, think of him as the best male actor on my spreadsheet for the time being. Uh, having just gained that spot when Philip Seymour Hoffman was in a pretty bad movie recently. So... Those are the top 10. I will run down those top 10 one more time for you. Jake Gyllenhaal, Julie Delpy, Marissa Tomei, Denzel Washington, Maggie Smith, Jonah Hill, Colin Kenny, Tatsuya Nakadai, Brad Pitt, and Rafe Fiennes. Those are the top 10 December-born actors from 2017 and the final top 10 month-born actors from 2017. When we move into the 2018 year, uh, we will, there's a couple more months that I haven't touched once. Uh, I think we started in March, so I still have January and February. 
But then once we get into March, uh, we will finally be able to compare this uh, the top 10 lists to last year's list. Uh, however, uh, for a long period of time, we will be comparing them against an outdated and uh, not, not used anymore method of ranking people. But neither, well, I guess kind of here nor there, but neither here nor there. Whatever. We'll make it work. It'll, it'll turn out just fine. So, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, I should have probably mentioned something in the beginning. Not feeling the best, a little under the weather. Don't know if you can hear that or not. I've had to pause the recording a lot of times to like blow my nose and stuff. Uh, so, I appreciate you sticking that out with me, if you did notice early on. Uh, whew, let's see. Um, if you want to check out more Monthborn actor top 10 lists, uh, you can head over to thecircleoffilm.com. Uh, there's a page for those specifically. You can look at past ones if you would rather not listen to two to three hours of podcasts per month, um, particularly for the months where the ranking method is no longer uh, current. Or if you just want to check out other stuff, scavenger hunt, circle of film award stuff, uh, all the episodes, spreadsheet information, pictures of the spreadsheet, screenshots, all that kind of stuff, all over at circlefilm.com. You want to get in touch with me? You can do so uh, using email, circleoffilm at gmail.com, or try Twitter, at circleoffilm. I'm pretty quick at responding uh, to any type of message, uh, regardless of what it's about. But in particular, if you have a top movie list of your own regardless of how long it is i will be happy to read it listen it listen to it uh look it over compare it uh i will definitely send you statistics on it uh as far as like how i feel about the movies you think are amazing um and i do that with the utmost professionalism regardless of how much i hate your favorite movie and uh if you would like to support the show in a monetary fashion, uh, you can check out patreon.com slash circle of film for all of those wants and needs. Uh, feel free, but no pressure. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never Even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.